Are you ready, Ma? Well, howdy, partner. <laughs> what? <laughs> howdy, partner. Well, howdy, Ma. We're doing a western, fellas. <laughs> and gals. <laughs> and the, those few little gals who are allowed to listen. Won't y'all wrestle some, up some grub? Make sure there's an extra log on that there campfire. Make sure somebody... Split some more. What? The wood pile's getting low. Yeah, go split some wood. Make sure them beans are nice and roasted. And there's a nice sarsaparilla. Ooh, sarsaparilla. Ooh, and sarsaparilla. We should have had sarsaparilla in gin today. We should have, but I don't know where to find sarsaparilla. Oh, I actually oh. do know where to find sarsaparilla, actually. The, I think the place that has my Hank's root beer has sarsaparilla. Well, there you go. Hmm. But we didn't think of it. And Gone with the Bushes is taking you to fictitious, fictitious Hadleyville, New Mexico. New, well, nerd alert. It's New Mexico territory. Ooh, because it wasn't a state yet. Yeah, I don't believe that they had become incorporated into the United States. Ah, okay. So it was the territory. The territory. Well, truth be told, it was really the back lot of which studio? I think it was Columbia, but it was in Burbank. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um... This is the tale of a lawman. You didn't who say stands... the, the name of the movie. Uh, give me a minute. Oh. Yeah. Well, a, make, pardon make a... me, partner. Well, well, little little lassie, I'm making them bite their fingernails to figure out just which Western we're doing today. In anticipation. I, I'm, I'm making it into a little bit of a guessing game. So... It, this is the tale of a lawman who stands alone to defend a, the town of Hadleyville from cowardly citizens against a gang of revenge-seeking criminals. Hmm. Which Western is it? Well, now, Ma, you do know that when this year podcast comes out, that uh, the title is going to be in the podcast. <laughs> so... <laughs> okay. The cat is out of the bag. <laughs> the rattlesnake has has come out of the bag. Okay, we're doing high noon, 1952 high noon. High noon, high noon. Pot High noon. It was released on July 24th, 1952. So you were almost 7 months old or 6 and months pop- old. And Poppy, wait, what what was the date? July 24th. Oh, Poppy was um, a little more than a month old. Mm-hmm. It was directed by friends Fred Zinneman. He also did... Oh, Nerd Alert. He won four Oscars. He won Oscars from for, From Here to Eternity, A Man for All Seasons, and then Best Short, Original One Reel, That Mothers Might Live sure that mm-hmm. sounds like a comedy <laughs> and no tissues on there best documentary short subject benji 
He also did the Day of the Jackal, Julia, Julia, Behold a Pale Horse, and Oklahoma. Where the wind comes down the play. Mm-hmm. I've never seen Oklahoma. I know. I want to see it now, though, after watching um, Watchmen on HBO. Oh. Fantastic show. It was produced by Stanley Kramer. He, that name should sound familiar. It does. He, and production-wise, he also produced The Kane Mutiny and Ship of Fools. But then he's also the director of It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Guess Hello? who's coming to dinner? And The Defiant Ones and Judgment at Nuremberg, just to name a few. Ooh. The screenplay is by Carl Foreman. He also wrote The Bridge on the River Kwai. The Guns of Navarone and McKenna's Gold. It's based on the short story in Collier's Magazine called The Tin Star by John W. Cunningham. The music is by Dmitry Tiaminkin. He also did Duel in the Sun, Gunfight at the OK Corral, Giant. And then that name should be familiar because he did a whole bunch of Capra films like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and It's a Wonderful Life, and so on and so forth. Okay. The director of photography is Floyd Crosby. Nerd alert. He's the father of David Crosby. Oh. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. The birds. He also shot The Old Man in the Sea, Pajama Party, Five Guns West, just to name a few. This guy shot a lot of movies. It was edited by Elmo Williams. He also edited 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and Design for Death. He was involved. Did you say Elmo? Elmo as in Tickle Me Elmo? Elmo as in Elmo Williams. Okay. And was involved in The Longest Day and Cleopatra. And he was producer on Torah, Torah, Torah. And from 1971 to 1974, he was he was head of production of 20th Century Fox. Rest in peace. Mm. Starring, and I think this, oh no, this is actually the second movie we've done with Gary Cooper. What other movie did we do with Gary Cooper? We did his debut. No, it wasn't. I don't know if it was his debut, but he was in Wings. Oh, he was in that one. Yeah, he was born in like 1901. Yeah, he was in, dang. So he plays the Marshal Will Kane. What? He was 51 in this film. Mm-hmm. He's had, he, this guy was in a bunch of movies. Wings, the Virginian, the Texan, Mr. D goes to town, meet John Doe, Sergeant York, Pride of the Yankees, Vera Cruz, Friendly Persuasion, just to name a few. I mean, yeah, he was, he was big time. Yeah, and Wings was the first, the very first picture to win Best Picture at the Oscars. So that's how far this guy's career goes back. Right. Well, Nerd Alert. Yes. He was kind of washed up at this time In, of 1952. Indeed, he was on the decline. Yeah, people people said he was over the hill. About to put and him out the this, pasture. And this brought his career back. High noon. High. Like another movie that begins with an H for another star in her 50s. This Gary Cooper's High Noon 
is Jennifer Lopez's Hustlers. Ooh, well, well played. Mm-hmm. And I'll be looking for that at, at the Golden Globes tomorrow. Grace Kelly plays Amy Fowler Kane. She was her very in, first. This was her first film. I believe so. Yes, that was what my research said. He, she was in The Country Girl, High Society, Dial M for Murder, Rear Window, and To Catch a Thief. You know, she also went on to become a princess of Monaco. A princess. Now, here's a nerd alert. I Did you know that Grace Kelly was 52 when she died? I probably did at some point in time. So, I just think that that was so interesting because I remember seeing... Like pictures of her, and I was like, "Oh, she's like old, you know." But she was fifty-two, mm-hmm. and again, just to bring it back to J Lo, J Lo's fifty. Yeah, it 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 boggles my mind. Yeah, that's what I I had to keep this all together longer now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have to. I mean, my gosh. <laughs> That's what 50 can look like? That's I'm what used it can to look it being like. in the moo-moo. I'm pretty sure that like Grace Kelly when she was she was 52, she's still gorgeous and stuff, but I like she she wasn't doing a striptease act on a pole or anything. Mm-mm. I'm pretty sure I remember her wearing the thing on the hat and like the moo-moos, the like house coat things. Yeah, she um I mean, I get yeah, she is royalty, so she's a princess. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't much she had to do. But yeah, yeah. So I'm just like, ugh. I mean, because this is like, we're watching The Crown, fifties. That's when this Olivia Coleman season is, right? Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. in her fifties and stuff. Right, right. <sighs> Man, J Lo. I also want to point out that cosmetics, cosmetic procedures. Um, nutrition training exercise has come a long way since since um grace kelly was in her 50s and the queen was in her 50s well and also like there's that too yeah also they're not signing on to be in a movie where they're gonna play a stripper right you know they're like i'm a queen i must cover everything up that's true. I just thought it was because I was like, oh, I thought that she was much older when she died. And when I saw that it was 52, I was like, oh, wow, that's crazy to me. Yeah, it is true. That's true. OK. Thomas Mitchell as Mayor Jonas Henderson. He was also in Stagecoach, Gone with the Wind. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I put Gone with the Wind twice. He was in it once. Lloyd Bridges, Nerd Alert, <laughs> Father of Bo, and yes, Jeff the Dude Bridges. <laughs> and we know where the dude got his hair from. Luscious head of hair. Luscious head of hair. It was this was a young, this was pre this was pre um what was the name of the show? He was Sea Hunt. Sea Hunt. This was Sea Hunt, or right around the time of Sea Hunt, he was quite, um, quite well built. Well, yes, he was also in Sahara, Walk in the Sun, Little Bighorn, Airplane, Hot Shots, 
you mentioned Sea Hunt and also Seinfeld. <laughs> got the great Seinfeld appearance where he was the, I forget the guy, but he was in down in Florida lifting weights. Um, we have Katie, Her- oh, I, pr- I practiced this too. Gerardo, Katie Gerardo. Okay. Right. As Helen Ramirez. Yes. She was in Broken Lace, Lance, and Nerd Alert. She was the first Latin actress nominated for Best Supporting Actress. In this? Yes. She was not. Oh, excellent. Wait, was she nominated? No, wait. No, she wasn't. She was nominated for Broken Lance. In 1954. But she did win the Golden Globe for this, and she was the first Latin actress to win a Golden Globe. She was a force in this. She was also in One-Eyed Jacks and Trapeze. She was renowned in the Golden Age of Mexican cinema, which spanned from 1940 to 1950. And that's how she got the the attention of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And probably sadly underused obviously oh, yeah. because i think her character was the most interesting character in this whole movie definitely i was like oh, it, it, well we'll get to it later yeah we have lon cheney jr as martin ho or how who's in wolfman abbott and costello meet frankenstein the defiant ones he was in so many movies he's also yeah. the son of lon cheney the man of a thousand faces was was his father the the one in horror movies? Lon Chaney was. Yeah, he was he was in all sorts of things. Okay. Um, and then we have Harry Morgan as Sam yes. Fuller. Yes, we did. I was like, "Hey, that guy's from Mash." Oh yeah, yeah. and Dragnet, and he yeah. was in a ton of movies too. Also, like yes. the Glenn Miller story, but we know him from Dragnet and Mash. Yes, we do. And we have Lee Van Cleef. Yes, we did. He was Jack Colby. This is his film debut. He was also in A Few Dollars More, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, Gunfight at the OK Corral, and Escape from New York. Nerd alert, he was offered the part that Lloyd Bridges played in this. But Stanley Kramer said, you need to fix your hook nose because it makes you look sinister. And Lee Van Cleef said... I'm not changing my nose. And so Stanley Kramer said, all right, well, you can be the bad guy who doesn't say anything. Not a single line. But nerd alert, he was he was in the very first shot of the movie mm-hmm. in silhouette. And there was like a first for, for somebody who didn't have a speaking part to be featured in the very first shot of a movie. I'm going to be honest with you. I thought that he was waiting for Gary Cooper. So I had to rewind this movie after it, you know, started. And I was like, oh, I have, I have come into this movie completely wrong. Me too. I, I thought he, I thought he was the bad guy. I mean, he is, but I thought he was the main bad guy. Yeah. Movies want you to walk into the front door and go in this maze. I saw an open window and I just, just was like, this is how this movie is. And then I had to rewind it because I was like, oh. And I guess maybe because I recognized the guy. I don't know. Yeah, he's recognizable just because, I mean, he was always the bad. You you saw his face and knew he was going to be the bad guy. 
I did. You know who he reminded me of? His face, his facial features remind me of the the girl that plays Lily in Modern Family. Oh, I was like, oh, I I, I don't I don't know. It's just huh. the same kind of like. Uh, like like some of the looks that he gave, I'm like, that is Lily. Wow, mm-hmm. great great side eye in this because <clears throat> he had no dialogue. But he's yeah, he had no he's dialogue. one of my favorite characters, and I'm glad he didn't change. There was nothing wrong with his nose. I had to go back and look at it because I was like, what's wrong with his nose? Mm-hmm. So they made him sinister looking. I was like, oh, man, Stanley Kramer, mm, harsh. Harsh, harsh man. So that's it for the particulars. Well, this is a black and white film. Nerd alert. They actually started shooting it in color, but the director and everybody was like, nah, I don't like this. I don't like the way this looks. So they scrapped it and reshot it in black and white. And the director asked that it not ever be colorized because he shot it based on the black and white visual. Mm-hmm. But it did get colorized at some point. Of course. We saw the black and white first. Good. We see a silhouette of a dude smoking a cigarette. And we see a horses riding toward the dude. And they talk, but you don't hear what they're saying. And meanwhile, it- we're listening to the theme song of High Noon which is telling us the entire story of High Noon. Right. As the credits are rolling. And part of those lyrics are, um, until I shoot Frank Miller dead. Yes. Try not to get... Well, once you watch it, and this is one of those movies I do recommend that you watch because it is very brisk and it moves at a great clip. Only... An hour and 25 minutes long. Yeah, go ahead, hit pause, go watch it. We'll be here. This we is will a, be here. This is a good movie. It's worth watching. Um, But then try not to have that song stuck in your head. <laughs> it's going in my head. Do, 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 do. Yeah, and that's actually very good. Well done. Thank you. <clears throat> Sometimes when we read re uh do a song no one has any idea what it is but that was that was the tune i mean we are tone deaf and this is a pretty (laughs) basic song (laughs) okay well then um a new dude comes two people get on horses they all ride off so there are three guys riding off on horses you don't know except you've seen lee van cleef so you assume these are bad guys we hear it although if you're me you're going is that Gary Cooper? Is that no. Gary Cooper? Is that <laughs> Gary Cooper? Which one of these motherfuckers is Gary Cooper? Well, the first sounds we hear other than the song High Noon is a church bell ringing. And these three dudes ride into town and everybody is like, oh, shit. <laughs> they, they're like just bowels loosen instantly. Everyone we needs see- to change their pants. We see our, well, they might not have, because I don't think they had a lot of extra clothes. They only had one pair of pants, so then they all had to go down to the rock that they beat their laundry on. Exactly. We see our first person of color, a Hispanic woman who crosses herself. Dios mio. We see a bride and groom. At this point, we do see 
aforesaid, what's his name? Gary Cooper. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, ah, yes, that's Gary Cooper. And a very young 21-year-old, Grace Kelly. And I'm like, wait a second here, guys. I did too. What? There was there was a thirty year age gap, but truth be told, that happened a lot. You know, because the wives didn't last that, that long. You know, doing all the chopping and the cooking and the childbirth and mm-hmm. such. They, they all just were hemorrhaging. They, so they just kept marrying younger ones. Yeah, but I did make. I did LOL when when they're um, I'm ready to start my life. I'm like, start your life. How much more life do you have, buddy? This is the old West, and you're fifty. <coughs> you're basically like a hundred in city years. Already, yeah. Okay, well, somebody comes in. The bride and groom are being married, not in the church. I didn't really notice. I did until later. Uh, uh, a justice of the peace is marrying them, and somebody comes in and and says, "I thought I saw Ben Miller and Pierce Colby." And the three of them are out there at the depot waiting on the train. And then a man with a telegraph rushes in. And Gary Cooper has is the marshal of this town. And so he brings the telegram to the marshal, at which point they find out that Frank Miller... Miller a said Frank Miller from Must Die, you know, what, until I shoot Frank Miller dead, has gotten paroled and and is out free of jail. Yeah. So, okay, to, for just to clarify, Gary Cooper, who was Will Kane, he is the marshal, but he's getting married, and his wife is a Quaker, so she's a pacifist, so he's giving up the marshalship. And is leaving town, and the new marshal is coming in the next day. Right, tomorrow. So, tomorrow. So he's about to leave. He, he's taking off his tin star. Yep. And he's like, everybody, everybody's going to be cool, right? You know, you all don't have a marshal in this town until tomorrow. Everything's going to be cool. And they're like, yes, yes, we got it, sir. We got it. And then this telegram comes in saying that this guy that Will Kane sent to sent to the hanging man he mm-hmm. got released on parole and he's come back with vengeance in his soul he got off because of those northern politicians who not only did away with his death penalty but gave him life have now said you know what you can leave the jail yeah and so so this man who is getting a second chance the, the thing that he's going to do is come all the way back to the lawman who sent him away in the first place and kill him. Mm-hmm. I was like, huh. So then, okay, he, this, this Frank Miller guy is a bad, bad man because he strikes fear into the hearts of all the townspeople. And he's coming here to kill Will Kane to exact Correct. his revenge. But if this guy's so bad, are we sure that he's going to even make it? I guess because he's on the train and we know that the train's coming in. Because then the whole thing with them becomes, well, you have to leave town. You have to leave town now, Marshall. 
you and Amy got to get out of town and go. And the marshal's like, well, he's going to find, he's going to hunt me wherever we go. He's going to hunt me. Right? Mm-hmm. If I would say a case could be made that Amy could say to him, because she does say, well, we'll run and we'll just keep going. It is the Old West. This is a territory. Not a lot of paper trails. If there was a time where you could disappear quite easily, now is the time. <clears throat> but Will Kane is convinced that Frank Miller will never stop until he finds him. But if Frank Miller is such a bad guy, I would bet money that Frank Miller is going to get caught up by the law or killed before he finds me again. Like, can because this guy would have to be would have to stay out of trouble enough to to find where I am. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I know I'm overthinking this. And I'm suddenly I'm like, oh, yeah, this is like Cape Fear. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it was just um, like the remake. He got out of jail. He got on the train to come and kill this dude. Now, his brother and two other people from his old gang Mm -hmm. um, are in town. So maybe they had been, you know, checking on the marshal checking out where he was and got word to Frank. I don't know. We're not going to overthink it. No, Frank's on on. the train. They don't have cell phones, so they can't communicate. They're just going to meet him at the train. There's a lot of discipline in this group, so maybe, you know what, maybe Will Kane does have a point because there's three criminals. The brother comes in. They see the marshals, like the sign. They say, whoa, hold it. We have to wait up. They don't even go to, like, Maybe they go to a saloon. They stay real dedicated to just camping out at the train station. At the waiting depot. Waiting for the guy. Not, yeah. Because Frank, Frank pulls the reins of the of the group. That's a lot of dedication. All right. Because one of the guys is drinking and he says he's out of alcohol. He has to go to the bar. And, and the other guy goes, you know, don't mess this up for Frank. Yeah. You know, don't go getting in trouble at that bar because... We got to wait for Frank, and you don't want to be at the other end of Frank's wrath. Yeah, I, you know, we we only murder when Frank says to murder. So be cool, man. Be cool. Now, one of the people who was witnessing the wedding was Uncle Billy. Uncle Billy. From- Uncle Billy from It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. Ah, you didn't recognize him. Okay. I don't I I know that this sounds horrible, but a lot of these older look guys look a lot alike in these black and white films. That's true. Okay. Well, as Aaron said, they're all telling uh we'll get out of town. So and Amy is going, Come on, let's go. I'm and a pacifist. So- I'm a pacifist. Right. Just by the the fact of her being a Quaker, you know that she doesn't believe in guns. And so they get in their wagon and he's going to go run a store with Amy somewhere else. So they get in the wagon and somebody hits the horses so that they start running really fast. Yeah, nay. At this point, um, I saw another person of color. Oh, this is because we see Deputy Lloyd Bridges with Katie 
Peran, the Uh, Hispanic woman. Yes. And he looks out the window of the hotel, and he is in her room at the hotel. Connect the dots. And he's wondering why Will is in such a hurry to get out of town. Why do you mean connect the dots? He's visiting her in her hotel room. Oh, I thought you meant that she was a madame. And I was like, I kind of thought she might have been. I was wondering about that. But then they mentioned no mention of it. And she owns a store in the saloon. So at first I did think she was a madame or a um, sex worker. Because that is how old Hollywood has trained us to think. Right. And, um, but we later find out a very nice part of the plot. I really liked it. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to know way more about the Helen Ramirez story. Yeah. uh, That, that would have been an even better Western. Um, she tells the old dude in another room that Ben Miller is in town. Also great voice. Oh, yes. It is. Great eyes. It is great. She should have been a big time star. This goes as one of the shame on Hollywood. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, I I take that back because she is a really big time star still in Mexico and stuff. Right. But I'm just saying she could have should have been a big time Hollywood star. Oh, what she could have done with Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. I mean. Wow. But. racism what is this this is the 98th episode of gone with the bushes and we have our first significant latin latino male or female role i do believe shame on you hollywood well we we cut back to ben and uh, not grace uh amy in the wagon and he stops the wagon and he he just goes i've got to go back and He says, um, if I don't go back, they're making me run, and I've never run. And she's going, no, we're not going back. And he turns around, of course. Well, he does make a good point. He's like, I don't have a gun on me right now. Like, this is ridiculous. He left his his tin star pinned to his gun because they were going to be, they were not going to, and really, you're going out, you're, you're, Going out west, I mean out west from out west. So this is supposed to be the New Mexico territory. Right. I'm just saying that there are critters out there that you need to defend yourself from, not just other people. Yeah, that's why I kind of thought that he would. It was one of those. Uh, I forgot my cell phone. Yeah, I, he at least needed a rifle with him or something. Yeah. I mean, come on. I can't start but, a store without a gun. Yeah, everybody's gonna come in and rob you. Okay, but again, so um, at this point, Will explains to Amy that he sent Frank Miller up for murder, and now he's out, and his whole objective is going to be to come and get me. How did Will Kane meet Amy, Grace Kelly? I mean, how did these two meet? Well, it's not part of the story. I know. But it's just like, man, she's like super I'm thinking he's, he's, he's known her since birth, probably. Oh, so Watch she was in up. the town? Because she, she didn't she feel m- like she had ties to the town, honestly. 
Yeah, she tells her story later. Yeah, but she didn't know she didn't know who Helen Ramirez is and Helen Ramirez like her name's on the saloon. So That's true. That's true. They're like, "Oh, you don't know about me?" And she didn't know about um Helen, you know, the past. Okay, maybe she was from a town over. Yeah, I I, I, I don't know. Yeah, she just on. seemed very clean to be in the in the New Mexico she territory. Was, she was very fair as well to yes. be in that New Mexico sun. That, I guess that's what I'm getting at. I had an aunt who uh, lived in Cincinnati and had really bad arthritis. And so she and my uncle moved to New Mexico because of the dryness there was really helpful to her arthritis. Mm -hmm. And um, this was pre, um, I mean, there were some moisturizers, but not a lot. And her skin from that New Mexico sun, and, and I mean, she was not working in the fields or anything. Was she, was she stay, staying out, like you sunbathing and putting on baby oil and whatnot? I didn't put on baby oil. But, Ever? Um, Ever, ma, don't lie to me. It was so greasy. I might have tried it once and gone, yeah. But um, her skin was, she had so many wrinkles. Now, you know, her her family might have been predisposed to wrinkles, but that dry New Mexico weather oh. did not do her face any favors. I'm just saying. So and I'm she, able to say this because she's gone now. I loved her very much. But was but she related God. to you by marriage or by blood? Uh, marriage. Ah, nice. Mm. Yeah. Uncle Mike's wife, Ruth. Ah. Nice. So anyway, I'm just saying that this blonde, fair-haired person, well, she was only 21 when this was made, but we're moving... We are going well, down too many rabbit holes. I mean, we holes. could go down on that. Like, it's just, she does not look like a woman with that complexion who has ever toiled in any sort of sun no. ever. No. That I mean, Grace Kelly was from Philadelphia. She looked like she was from Philadelphia in and this she, movie. Okay, nerd alert. They were saying how she, she thought her performance was horrible because she was so stiff. Well, she was miscast. Um, but the director said, you know, it was perfect. She was marrying this older man, which was typical of the times. She would not have been real comfortable with this group of people. She didn't know that well. And so he thought it was perfect. And it did work out well for her. Well, this is stepping on my bad reheatables because everybody was saying like how she was miscast and stuff. I feel as though the character was underwritten because, again, here we have all of these questions yeah. about where she came from and stuff. Didn't it, nobody care about the woman? Exactly. It would make sense if it was one of those things, which I do believe that they had, you know, when you know the men go out into the West, they... For lack of a better term, civilize a town, right. make it suitable to raise women and children. And they would send back saying, like, we need wives, like a farmers only kind of thing. Well, and then the, uh, the woman would bride. Yeah. yeah. And so then the women who are like in Philadelphia, because we learn later that her brother and father were both killed by guns. 
that she's probably on her, like, you know, she's a woman in this time. So she has to get married to have any sort of identity or self-worth or money. So, and she hears like, oh, there's this Marshall and stuff. He probably shows a picture of her that's like 30 years younger and via telegram mail, their whole courting. You know what? This guy probably, they probably began courting when she was in sixth grade and he was a strapping young gentleman, but because of the Pony Express and whatnot, this is how long it's taken their relationship to converge. What year was it in your time? I thought I wrote that down, but I didn't. In my time? No, in in the the uh, this the plot is what year in America? Oh, I was I, looking that up. I feel like it was in like eighteen forties, late eighteen forties, eighteen fifties. I thought it was a little later. Because, um, well, the one, the one, the justice of the peace took his flag down and there was a whole thing that I didn't write up about mm. how many stars were on the flag. Because there what- was also a thing about Pabst Brewing and how there was signs for Pabst Brewing, but within a certain year, it wasn't Pabst. It was, even though it was around, it was brewed a different thing and I didn't write it down right. Well, my point was, if it was like um, Civil War time, uh, if if even if she were from Philadelphia, um, the men folk were going off to war. She didn't have a lot of choices, so she might have gone out west to get married. Yeah, that's what I thought because she said that her that her brother and father died, and they were on the side of right. So I, oh, that's right. I immediately that's right. assume like oh, they died in the Civil War for the union but then the she North. said that she saw her brother die and i was like well how did that happen but maybe it was in gettysburg but then i yeah. don't know something later made me think that it was older than that i don't know th- th- so so many questions so but, many questions so amy is telling will don't turn around we're gonna keep going we're gonna run this store we're gonna be away from these bad people and he says we'd have to run as long as we live and she and says, don't. I made the point of, I don't really think that that's the case. Exactly. Buddy. And she says, don't try to be a hero. And she pleads with him and tells him, if you do this, I won't be here in an hour. Um, she goes, if you don't go with me now, I'll be on that train when it leaves. And the judge, then um, we see the justice of the peace packing up. And folding a said flag. And we see Amy at the train station. Now, Amy's at the train station. And these three thugs are waiting for Frank to come in on the train. She's going to go out on that train. And it's and the, the station master goes, you, you might want to wait in the hotel. Because <laughs> I'm just saying this isn't going to end well if you wait here with these three dudes. And I'm not a hero, ma'am. <laughs> you might see, uh, please, I direct you to exhibit A, the shirt cuffs I'm wearing <laughs> and the visor. I am a nerd. I will not be saving your honor. If if plastics had been invented, I would have a pocket protector right now. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Will 
is talking to the judge and the judge is trying to talk him into leaving. Will is trying to find some deputies. Yeah. Will's trying to find some backup. Well, a posse. He's that's that's what they used in the, the term they used in the time was he's he's allowed because he's a marshal. He's allowed to to special deputize townspeople and they become his posse. Right. Because he needs some backup. He needs a gang. A gang's well, about to come. He needs a gang. We see Harve aforementioned Lloyd Bridges and Lloyd Bridges is um, mad because he didn't get the marshal ship. Yeah, he's the deputy. He was the second in command. And it's like, why didn't why do they have to go out of town to find somebody? I'm here. And um, and and he tells Will, you want me to stick my neck out? You tell them to make me the new marshal. A quid otherwise, pro quo. Otherwise, I'm out. Mm-hmm. And um, Will says, because he is always on the side of right, he says, it's got to be up to you. I'm not going to sell the marshalship. So if you want to if you want to fight on the side of right, great. If you don't, that's your problem. Yeah, kick rocks. Yeah. Um, but. Harve Lloyd Bridges thinks the marshal is sore about him and Mrs. Ramirez. Yes, Mrs. Ramirez. Now, at this point, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, would the marshal be sore because Harve is in a relationship with a Hispanic woman? That's what you're led to believe. I think you are led to believe, but no, that was not the reason. I'm like, well, I'll be damned. Racist Gary Cooper. Great. I was well, really at, starting to like you. At this point, I wrote, she used to be with the marshal? <gasps> question mark, question mark, question mark. And then I'm like, yes, I can still like you. Yes. Well, Amy is at the hotel waiting for the noon train. Hence, high noon. We go to the church and... um. Oh, Mrs. Ramirez has, has asked for someone to go and get Mr. Weaver from the church. Like, she's got a man. She's got, like, this old white guy that, like, does what she tells him to do. A note is given. To, he's up in the choir. He's up there with the choir singing. And a note is given to him. And he leaves the choir and goes, because Mrs. Ramirez has asked him to come see her. Summon. That's the power of Helen Ramirez. Oh, man. She is. Okay. So we find out that she wants to sell the store she owns that Mr. Weaver has been managing to him. So she owns the store. She owns the saloon. Well, I'm thinking I think she, she owns the hotel. I think she oh she definitely owns the saloon that has the name. She says that she she's a partner. So she, I think she owns half the store with that guy. Because remember cuz she was a silent partner. Yeah, yes. cuz cuz he he's like, "Well, how much do you think?" And so she like thinks about it and she says, "I think 2000 is fair." She's got again, yeah. great voice. You should just watch she, it for her. Yes. Fantastic. And he's like, well, I don't have 2000 right now. 
so she says, well, how much do you have? And he's like, I have, I have a thousand. She's like, all right, well, you can give the other to my man and he'll get it to me. And then he thanks her because she was the one that put up the money and his wife was mad about it because she was Hispanic and also a woman, but also because she was Mexican. Because this is the New Mexico Territory. So you know there's just racism. She had the money, but I'm thinking he had to be her front man because she wouldn't have been allowed to own all the... Well, she owned the saloon, but it's a saloon. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I know that she had the money. That's why I'm saying, like, where's the Helen Romero story? Because she had the money to give... Because that sounded like she was doing him a favor. And he said that. Yeah. You've been nothing but fair to me. I can't, you know, I just can't say enough about thank you for this working relationship we've had because she's packing to leave town too Mm -hmm. because there's more to the story, people. Well, Amy and Will each meet at the hotel and each of them thinks the other one has changed their mind. He thinks Amy's at the hotel, not the train depot, because she decided to stay. She thinks he came to the hotel to say, hey, let's get out of town. It was a very awkward moment. Awkward. And sad. And um, then they both realized that, um, no. So Will is there to go see Helen. So he goes upstairs to see Helen to warn her that Frank is coming back into town, and she already knew. Because mm-hmm, this woman knows what goes on in her town. Um, and she says to him, I would not lift a finger for you. I'm not afraid of him. And if you're smart, you'll get out of town too. So at this point, we realize that Helen not only had a relationship with Harve and Will, but before that, she had a relationship with Frank. Wow. Yeah. So do you think that Helen, if she had a relationship with Frank, was on the wrong side of the law, and that that's where she made her money, and then she went legit and was with Will, and that's how, like, she went legit with her money. You know? Like, in the mm-hmm. classic drug dealer thing, how mm-hmm. they, they make their money in the drugs, and then they're like, I gotta go legit. And so then they go legit and stuff. And that makes you think, were, were the town women, was it not that she was Hispanic, but that she had formerly been on the other side of the law? Is that why they didn't like her? Well, I think that that huh? I think that it was like a little of both. I'm sure that the town that the lily white town was not too uh, keen on Mexicans, just from what I gathered of just my working knowledge of America and how it works, and then also like all of the above. Like there was more than one reason for Helen Ramirez to have hate from this town. Well, that and the fact that she is out acting every one of them. Yeah. Because I wasn't that impressed with Gary Cooper's acting chops. 
I thought that it worked. I thought that it worked very well for his character. I was like, oh, this is okay. This is what he does. So the cold, abrupt, like yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, Amy goes to ask the concierge of the hotel, just who is this, Mrs. Ramirez? And he is only too delighted to tell her he used to be a friend of your husband's. And before that, she was a friend of, she used to be a friend of your husband's. And before that, she was a friend of Frank Miller's. Frank Miller. And BTW, there are a whole lot of people in this town who don't like your husband. (laughs) Because before he came and cleaned it up, we had a whole lot of fun here. This was a great place to be. Not a place for families, but it was a great place to be. It was very scary for women and children, but my God, we had so much If you were a white man, you love this place. Okay, well, um, we have, at this point, we see Ben, the brother of Frank, going to get some more liquor at the saloon, and we see two more American Indians outside the saloon. Oh, they I didn't allowed, even count that. They weren't allowed inside. Thank you very much. Wow. Well, they weren't American Indians. They would be the people who were here originally. Well, that's the American Indians, which um, I'm, I'm never sure what. I don't know the proper they, nomenclature. Well, when I was teaching, we were saying first we were saying Native Americans. Right. And th- that was not because the native connotation was bad. And so then it was first Americans because they were here first, but it wasn't America at the time. Well, I'm just going to say that like, because when you're an other, that any connotation is going to be bad because that's how they're going to make it. You know what I mean? But the, um, the museum downtown is the American Indian Museum. So I'm believing that's what they prefer to be so called. So now we've gone point. back to Indian, but it's not India. They're called Indians because Columbus thought he was in India. I know. I, there are people who were here first. There are the the OGs. They should be called the OGs. They should be called the OGs. Definitely not the name of your football team. Hold on. My football team? How dare you? You know that we are in a trial separation. <laughs> okay. Um they the uh, so this whole movie started at 10:30 in the morning when Gary Cooper and Grace Kelly were getting married. And it it keeps cutting to shots of the clock because we know that at high noon is when Frank is arriving on the train. Well, nerd alert. This movie is in real time. Although the term real time had not been invented yet until the following year because of this movie. So real time in movies is when the movie that you're watching is, for lack of a better term, in real time. Everything that you're watching takes place within these. If you're watching a two-hour movie, you're watching two hours of events unfold in real time. This was an hour and 25 minutes of real time unfolding. Well, so, hold on a second. I have notes. Uh oh. Time to take a drink. Where friend. are my notes? Oh my gosh, I wrote it down because it's. it's we can. Uh, it's 88 minutes. Okay. It's 
100 it's it covers 100 minutes in real time but the actual runtime of the film is 84 minutes right which is that's why this was either this was definitely nominated and might have won best editing because that's what you want yes yes well, that's what we want with our podcast, too, but it doesn't happen because we go down rabbit holes. And I don't have time to edit this shit. So that's true. What that's we record right. is what you all get. There's no other podcast edit things. I don't How have a podcast producer. I don't edit you because I don't have a podcast producer sitting there writing down when we've made funnies and editing it and stuff. This podcast, all gone with the bushes, are done in real time, just so you know. You get you get everything that we get. And sometimes we apologize for that. Sorry. We think you enjoy our funnies as much as we do. Like, this is going to be a long podcast. Probably going to be longer than the movie at this rate. Oh, yeah. It, to- it definitely is. It probably already is. Okay. Well, Gary Cooper goes to the... Sal- I mean, he's been trying to get people to deputize all over town. He goes to the saloon. And now, remember what the concierge mm-hmm. said. So the people in the saloon were like in the town before yeah. Gary Cooper came to town. So like, you clean this shit up. It's not fun anymore. And so uh, the I guess it's the bartender who's going, yeah, you know what? Will's going to be dead 10 minutes after Frank gets off that train. Oh, yeah. The bartender has the classic. His back is to the door and he's taking bets on when... Uh, What's the over-under of when Will Kane's going to be killed by Frank yeah. Miller? And he's not getting the look from, from somebody he's looking at. Like um, Mrs. Ashton used to always <laughs> like do her eyebrows at me to let me know that I'm talking about somebody who's just walked in the room. And I never quite picked up on it. She <sighs> didn't kick me, which she should have. No, she did more than enough. That's, yeah, that's she, ride she or die did. Mrs. Ashton for you. She, she did what she could do and... Yeah, so um, so Will just smashes him in the jaw. And, surprise, nobody volunteers to help him out. Yeah, but the best part of that was so the bartender gets slugged, and the bartender's like, hey, you got a deputy, you're a marshal, and you have a gun. Why'd you need to punch me in the face? And then this just shows how just scared and frightened that Will is, because he, he's like, Oh man, you're right. I shouldn't have punched you. Yeah. And he goes to offer to help him up, but you know, bartender don't want his help. Well, at this point we cut to a house and Harry Morgan, his name is Sam Fuller in the film, is telling his wife, I see him coming, I see him coming. Lie. <laughs> Tell him I'm not home. Just lie. I'm not. And she's going, I can't lie. He's going to know I'm lie. Just lie. Because I'm not going to go. I'm not going to stand behind him. If you don't, if you don't lie, I'm dead. Do you want me to die? Do you want me dead? And this is how you know that they have a very strong marriage, in my opinion. Because what does she do? She opens the door and she lies. There's she has no money in her own name. It, once he <laughs> dies, she's you know she's That's true. She's like I've got nothing. I love go this get man. To somebody else. Yeah. But I must lie my ass off. Well, Harve goes to see Mrs. Ramirez, and he wants to protect her. And this scene is so good. Oh. 
she tells him uh, that he's got broad shoulders, but it takes more than broad shoulders to be a man. And Cain is a man. And she's leaving because Cain will be dead in a half hour, and then the town is going to die too. Damn. Oh, it was so good the way she, she just shot him down. Um, and he puts his hands on her and she goes, whoa. Oh, she does. She was like, well, she had a great line, something about like, uh, as she's looking down at his hand with those eyes and she says something to the effect of, you know, you better watch yourself because the only men who touch me are the men who I allow to touch me. And I don't allow you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. She said, I don't allow you anymore. Yeah. I was yeah. like, man, you better, like, you, you're you in for a world of hurt. There is a reason for the stereotype of the fiery Latina. <laughs> and you, my friend, are pushing very you close to being. You are crossing that border. You are cruising for a bruising. Well, it is Sunday, and Kane goes to the very last possible place he can go. He goes to the church. He's been to the saloon. Now he's got to go to the church. And he says, I need help. I need all the special deputies I can get. Um, and so then somebody stands up and says, you're no longer the marshal. And um, you and Miller have your own issues. And Uncle Billy calls to order to stop all the arguing. Uncle Billy. All the talking over each other. And he gives a speech. And um, and he tells Will, go while there's still time. It's oh, better for you. Oh, he gives a and really weird speech. Does this, is this the guy who's like the, the quote, pragmatist? How he's yeah. like, well, see, Kane's coming in and he only has it out for you. So if you leave, Cain will leave for you. And then this town that used to be like you couldn't raise a family here, then this town will continue to get money from up north. But if you stay and there's a bloodbath, nobody like up north, they're not going to want to give us money because they're going to think that we're just a bunch of criminals and outlaws and their lawlessness so in order for our town to succeed you kind of have to leave buddy yeah um and so then well kane so so that's a no then (laughs) yeah then kane goes to oh and then um uncle billy asked the preacher you know where do you stand and the preacher goes you know, I kind of don't have an opinion here. I don't got nothing to say because um, I can't tell people to go out and kill their brother, but then badness is going to... So really, I got nothing here. Yeah, Let's he's, move on. he's like... But although he does throw shade at Will when he comes in, he's like, oh, Will, heard you got married today. Didn't do it in the church. <laughs> And Will's like, yeah, I know that I haven't been here in a while, but um, and I didn't get married in the church because my wife's a Quaker. So, you know, I'm basically here because a bad guy's going to come to town and I want to, you know. I would really like some backup. I just want some backup. And some some townspeople make some interesting points. One town person's like, look, we pay taxes. 
to pay you so yeah, we don't have to deal point. with this? Yeah. And I was like, that is a point. That is a point. <laughs> like, so what, what are we giving our money for if now I have to go and help bail you out? I was like, my man's got a point. At this point, Amy goes to see Mrs. Ramirez. And she says to Mrs. Ramirez, I think Will won't go with me because of you. Please let him go. And Mrs. Ramirez goes, it's not me. It is not me. If you don't know why he can't go, I cannot tell you. Yeah, she's basically like, you. if you, if you don't know... Then you don't even know your husband. And she doesn't. Yeah. She's 30 years younger than he is. She's like, I don't. I was born yesterday. But she does say, why don't you wait for the train here? Because truth be told, I'm getting on the train too. Yeah. So just wait here. Yeah. And I own this town, so you might want to stick a little close to me. Yeah. Uh, Because I probably have a couple guns with me. Mm. Oh, I you don't approve of. Definitely packing heat. Also, I would just like to point out that I'm a woman and I have my own agency here in this New Mexico territory and I have my own money. So if you have see any paper hanging around and writing utensil, a quill and ink, you might want to get that down and start writing it so that I can tell you all of my notes for success so you don't have to be latched your wagon to this suicidal Marshall guy. Yeah, and... I wish she had done that because then we could have the Helen Ramirez story. <laughs> I'm seeing I'm seeing a script in your future, Erin. The Helen Ramirez story. <laughs> okay, we go back to the saloon and Harv uh, Lloyd Bridges is drinking. And he sees the, the marshal walking all by himself through a window. And he's saying a smart man knows when to walk away. And um, so Kane goes to the stable and um, Harv goes to the stable where he is. And Harv is saddling up his horse. He tries to saddle up his horse for him. He says, you really got to go. You got to go. Yeah, like, come on, man. What are you doing? You don't have a posse. It's just you versus four professional criminals. I think at this point, though, he does have one. There was one guy that came. They deputized. And he's like, I got to go prepare. Oh, yeah, he did. I'm going to come back. And I'll meet you and all the other men. Yeah. And then a drunk tries to tries to be deputized. The drunk, blonde, the one-eyed Jack guy? Yeah. He had the patch. Yeah, he was like, look, I'm drunk. I can't shoot. And I can't see. But I I'm a good man. See. And yeah. I, I got your back. Yeah, I'll just shoot some bullets. It'll be okay. Yeah. And then a 14-year-old boy tries to to join up. Um, well, at this point, Harv and Kane get into a Fisticuffs. They get in a fight. Fisticuffs. At this point, my sound cut out. Oh, mine didn't. And it has been an hour. All right. So then... I'm sure we're going to spoil it for you. So now's a good time where if you want to know how this ends to go watch the movie. But let's go. Let's get into the categories. Okay, POC count. I had four. Well, I have four too because you have the two OGs. 
Yes. Yes. And we've done several nerd alerts. Do you have more? Oh, do I have more? So the iconic shot at the end of this, when it's the shootout, the camera, it's a close on Gary Cooper's face, and then it's a crane shot that rises up to reveal that he is alone on the deserted street. It's iconic. It's It's been done so many times in films and stuff, especially westerns, but in other films. So because there was weather um, issues, which it's Southern California, so I'm going to take it to be that it was probably super windy <laughs> and they couldn't view the crane rather than there being like rain or something, which no. it could have been rain, but I'm just, I, in my mind, I'm going with logical is probably wind. You're right. They actually shot it at 3 p.m. So that iconic shot, it wasn't shot at noon and that's why the shadows are off. Ah, good point. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the during the production and release of this film, it was the second Red Scare because it was also like, like communism and the Korean War was popping off and all of that. So in 1951, Carl Foreman was called by the House of Un-American Activities Committee and he was once a member of the Communist Party like back in his youth, but he wasn't anymore. And he refused to name names. So he was labeled as an uncooperative witness. And Stanley Kramer, it is said, made him sell his part of the company. And wanted him to, um, like he was very mad about this. But the reason he's mad about this, it's still up to debate and it's very complicated because is he is Stanley Kramer, the guy who did Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and all of these very social, political kind of movies, was he mad because he wouldn't name names and cooperate? Or was he scared to be guilty by association that his partner in this, in his production company, or I don't know if it was the production company or if it was like this specific movie was... um you know, had that taint on them, especially at that time. Or another thing, theory that I came across was that Foreman said that he was going to falsely accuse Stanley Kramer, was going to falsely name him as one of the name names. Because, yeah, so Kramer wanted him off this movie, off of everything, even though he wrote the script, wanted like him stripped of it, but the director and Gary Cooper, who was also like you know very conservative and stuff, but Gary Cooper didn't like the house the way that the House of Un Americans Committee was going about it. He was like, "Look, I'm all for I'm all anti communist and all that, but I don't like this this whole thing that you're all up to." So that's why Carl Foreman he stayed as a part of it. And then there's also some debate on how much of the story that Carl Foreman has to do because it's said that he came up with a plot outline and then was passing it around and he had a friend that was like, look, this sounds a lot like this short story, Tin Star. Mm -hmm. And that Foreman then found Tin Star and bought the rights to that so that he had it. Uh And then there's like this other guy who's like, 
this other director, I think Richard Fleischer, who said that while he was making this movie Clay Pigeons, they were driving to and from the set, and that's when they hashed out the whole idea, and that Fleisch, the Fleischman guy couldn't direct it because he was under contract with RKO. So there's just a whole bunch of, like, how much did this guy come up with? Did he come up with the story, and then it was similar to that, or did he... He just buy it. I don't. It, it's it's a very much a he said he said, and so there's a 2002 documentary called "Darkness at High Noon: Colon the Carl Foreman Documents" because Carl oh. Foreman ended up being blacklisted. Yes, he got blacklisted um, because of Harry Cohn, who was the president of Columbia, I believe, and John Wayne, who was the head of the MPA. He was the mm-hmm. president. And the gossip columnist, Hedda Harper, Hopper, they Hopper. were all like, yeah, this guy's got to be blacklisted. So this guy ended up being blacklisted from Hollywood. But in that documentary, so there's a documentary that, that basically has Carl Foreman's point of view. But then there's this the author who wrote Naming Names, and that's considered the definitive Hollywood blacklist book. He said that this doc, the 2002 documentary was very one-sided because the whole issue around this movie and the relationship with Stanley Kramer and all of that was much more complicated. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those things where it's, there's just probably so many different things are true and it's just a combination. Mm-hmm. All right. So the opening scene was shot at Iverson Ranch which is where Topanga Canyon and the 118 Freeway meet. The 118. That's particularly interesting to me because I used to work at a place and I would take the 118 and exit Topanga Canyon. So I was like, yeah, that is where the, that doesn't make sense. Like it was very, I mean, it's not that way now. It's all built up and and Mm -hmm. there's condominiums and all that stuff. But that Iverson Ranch, so that whole area was where they did Bonanza, Gunsmoke, Lone I Ranger, like yeah. all of those things. And so there was that, the Iverson Ranch, and then as it, it uh, I think there was something else that was like in the 60s and the late 60s, there was something else that was filmed because... If you go down a little bit on Topanga Canyon, somewhere around there, that's where Spawn Ranch is. And Spawn Ranch is where the Manson family hung out. Oh, so which can like be seen in... Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. In Hollywood, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. That's some crazy shit. Yeah. But it's just very interesting because just living out here of all the different... Like, oh, that was like a ranch and that's where they built like, mm-hmm. all the different... All right, Rio Bravo, that movie was made in response to this movie because a lot of people saw this movie as an allegory for the blacklist. I see it as an allegory of what's happening today. Well, we'll get into that. Okay. So, like I just said, it was an allegory for all of that. And so Howard Hawks and John Wayne decided that they were going to make this in response because also spoiler alert they didn't like that at the end the hero gets saved by his wife 
Well, like that, actually, that really rubbed them the wrong way. That was my runner-up for MVP. Well, we'll, we'll still we still have that. So okay. President Eisenhower, Bill Clinton, and Ronald Reagan love this film, and that's a, that's a collection of people with yeah. varying views. I mean, you got two Republicans and a Democrat. Um, because, and politicians particularly, like, basically anyone who has to go against a group of people, like the will of people, and feels like an outsider, will identify with Gary Cooper. Yes. John Wayne said it was the most un-American thing he'd ever seen. So then, what did the, what did the commies think of this? What did the Reds, the Soviets think of this movie? Well, they didn't like it, because they felt it glorified the individual, Mm-hmm. So I just thought that that was hilarious. All right. I don't remember, like, seeing any other Gary Cooper movies, but I do remember watching The Sopranos and how Tony Soprano, he frequently referenced Gary Cooper and High Noon. He would always oh, say... Oh, did he? I didn't, I didn't realize Yeah, that. he would always say, like, whatever happened to the Gary Coopers. He was always like, that's a man. The strong, stoic type, you know, strong, silent type. Yeah. And also he will, you know, and and I think in scene in season five, there's a dream sequence where the end, the shootout in high noon is playing on the TV. Oh, okay. And so then we already did this. Some shots were changed to color. So those are the nerd alerts. Excellent. Okay. Reheatables. Mm hmm. Uh, my negatives, mm-hmm. well, I mean, it was just, you know, they didn't ask the two OGs to come into the saloon. He didn't ask the two OGs to, he couldn't, he didn't deputize them. Yeah. I mean, they just stood there and, um. Able-bodied, but, oh, no, you only want us when you want to, like, give us a blanket. That's- exactly. Full of tuberculosis. Um, and, and that nobody was willing to stand up and fight against a no, what was obviously some bad shit that was coming to town. Those were my negatives. Okay. My negatives were, we already kind of saw, like, the Grace Kelly, people said she was miscast. I not I thought she was okay. If I had seen this movie and this was the only movie and you're like, yeah, that woman's going to go on to be a star, I would have been surprised by it. Except for how much the camera loved her. Yeah. Just looking at, just, you know, like when we saw, what was that um, Charlize Theron movie where she was ugly? A monster. Yeah, and you said, you know, people don't want to pay money to see somebody <laughs> ugly for two hours. You know, that, just the the fact that she was so pretty. But she was so pretty, but also Katie Harado was so pretty as well. Oh, yeah, exactly. And yeah. she actually had chops. Yes. And acted circles around and everybody in this film. Yeah. She didn't everybody. she didn't become a princess. You know? Well, yeah. Yeah. So um bad oh, So this is my question. Uh-huh. So she married Prince Rainier. Mm-hmm. Was there not a king and queen? 
of Monaco? Uh, no, I think it's a prince. I've always heard that Monaco oh, it's a is a principality. Which means there's not a king and queen. Didn't put that together till I was almost 68 years old. I don't okay. know what principality means. I just always know like Monaco, a principality. Yeah, so it must be ruled by a prince. Okay. So then who's the king, though? There is no king in a principality. But then why wouldn't the king just be a king? I, I don't understand royalty. Oh, I'm, I don't I'm American. Right. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Um, Cooper and Kelly's age difference. Again, they're like, oh, we're going to go start a life. I'm like, what life are you going to start, my man? You're old. But truth be told, they had an affair during this movie. Well, they people have said that, but then there's also, like, that it's just one of those things that can't be proved. Okay. They're they're like there's no evidence, but I'm like, what evidence? <laughs> oh, there's no kid. That's well, yeah. <laughs> like oh oh, they her father didn't take her to the uh, gynecologist every every year to make sure she was still a virgin. So oh, okay. I don't. But there was a, a Grace Kelly biographer. That's why I'm saying it because this person did the research and was like, look, I can't find anything that says that. Although. Now, I wouldn't doubt it. There were, like, a lot of affairs. I think our, our my main man that got blacklisted had an affair with uh, Katie Harado. So, oh, good. there was, like, a lot well, of affairs going I on. That? I don't know what I meant by that. Okay. My, my bad, another bad one is I was unimpressed by Frank Miller. I mean, this so, well, is the but bad I read guy. Everybody was. Everybody was expecting it to be some, because of... When you first see Frank Miller, you don't see his face. So you're expecting it to be like somebody really big that that just makes this short appearance in this film. And it was like, who was he? I, yeah. Yeah. But just in a, as far I I know that I wasn't expecting to turn around and be like, oh, it's a young blah, blah, blah. Like somebody that I recognize. I'm just strictly talking about like he turns around and just I'm like, ooh, yeah, that's a bad, bad man. See, Van Cleef could have done that. That's what I'm saying. Van Cleef should have been the Frank Miller because I believe like, oh, yeah, that's a bad, bad man. This guy, Frank Miller, I'm like, all of this to do for him? He seems like a nerdlinger. Yeah. So... Those were, I did better in my recasting. Those were my bad. I didn't recast him. Although I, I have did. three casts, but I didn't recast him. I have two. Okay, okay my my positive reheated balls. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Ramirez. Yes. Period. She owns a store. She doesn't let Harv get away with shit. She owns so, a saloon. She owns a saloon. Um, yeah. She's got the... Yeah. Um, and her, um, her, her monologue to Harve about, I only let people I, I have approved of touch me Mm -hmm. and you are not in that category anymore. And then when Amy fought Frank and, and that she shot somebody to save her husband. (laughs) Yeah. In the back. The, The pacifist picked up a gun killed a man not only killed him but shot him in the back i was like that's right oh all right amy that's right the taste of blood now do you and your positives 
um, the tension and the tight running time. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, and how like it didn't even exist at the time, but how it just kept going. I was like, oh, I'm in on this. That Frank, or not Frank, that Will Kane, he was the hero, but he was afraid. And that the townspeople were chicken and that there's very little action goes against pretty much every Western motif that there yeah, is. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I like that it can be taken, that it can, you could take the stance of whatever you want it to be. Like if, like how you were saying that the townspeople were chicken, then you can see that. But if you can also say that the townspeople were pragmatic and looking after themselves in the interest of the town, they're like, this guy has a problem with you. He's a, you know, and we're paying taxes, and if you think that it's a, an allegory for the blacklist, like basically anything that you want can be put on this movie. And that's why all the different sides and stuff are like claim it like, yeah. oh, it's anti-blacklist. Oh, it's anti-American. Oh, it's actually pro-American and the hero and the moral and all of that. I like that's really interesting because I was going back. I was always going back and forth of like. Gary Cooper's an idiot. He should leave town. Gary Cooper is, he's sticking up. He's doing the right moral thing. It's just going back and forth. It just depends on how you're looking at it. Right. Um, that the hero, yeah, I have that the hero was saved by his pacifist wife shooting a man in the back. And then I have, yeah, Helen Ramirez, the businesswoman. Mm-hmm. Oh, also the director, so Fred Zinnemann, also nerd alert. He was Austrian and Jewish and he went Ooh. to school and then he got into the um, he got into film producing and he went to Germany and to Berlin and he was hanging out with like Billy Wilder and other directors and he really liked the what was going on in cinema at the time in Germany. And this was in the 20s, but he saw that. The people who had, like, because Germany was going through a huge economic crisis because it was, you know, after World War One that they started. Yeah. Um, and that the people who had a lot, the rich people, like we saw in Cabaret, you know, they were living it up. And they were getting more and more to the right. And the people who were poor and had nothing, they were going more and more to the left. And... Um, he kind of was very smart and kind of like it disgusted him. And so he ended up going to America to pursue film. And he actually got to New York the, I think the day of or day after the stock market crashed. Oh, and then wow. he got on a train and went to Hollywood and, and kind of started working there and worked his way up and stuff. But it's sad because both of his parents died in the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And he's so, like, he's coming at it. He's got that kind of background, you know. He's coming, he said that he didn't, he didn't see it politically. He just saw it as a great yarn about a man making a decision based on his own conscience. And so he was kind of amused by the politicizing of it because he didn't see the politics of it. He just saw Mm -hmm. this guy who was just doing, like, the moral thing To, to him of what like his own individual code of morals and that's i think that's interesting i think it's also like what the town was doing and the people who had a family and if he had had 
you know, he was the marshal, so he was in this position, but the people who were the townspeople and how that, you know, that's their perspective. And some people would say that they're chicken and stuff, but if you're looking at it from their point of view, are they chicken? You know, like, was this a menace to them as a town or is this just a menace to one person and having to weigh that? It's, it's very interesting. So those were my good reheatables. Because there was a part where uh, it might have been Uncle Billy was saying, remember this town when, when it wasn't safe for what? No, there was a woman in the congregation mm-hmm. saying that. Remember when this town wasn't safe for women and children to be out in the streets? Um, and, but the marshal fixed that. The marshal took care of that. So now we have to help the marshal. Right. But then there's Nerd Alert. I didn't have this written down, but I was just reading about it. So there's a sequel to this. I for, It's all different people and stuff. It, and it takes It's not the later. Helen Ramirez story. And it's not the Helen Ramirez story. Basically, Darn. like, Amy and Will come back. And the marshal who came in after him turns out to be a real dick. Ah. And so... I think that the it, it didn't get well received, but it was just an interesting theme is that like, you know, we're all holding it up like, oh, yeah, the marshal came and he cleaned up this town and he made it so that like women and children could like whatever, you know. But then that's also a, a weird thing because it's like clean up. And what are you saying? Like. Yeah, the criminal, like, is it just the criminal aspect, or are you talking about other things? Yeah, like, you did know? you drive all of the OGs out of town? Exactly. The, yeah. All or the people all who the... weren't like you, who are right. sitting here in this church, all the right. other people, and so they drove out all of them. Because, you know, when he went to the saloon, people were like, look, we don't have the same view of this guy as you do. And so it is mm-hmm. kind of interesting, like, is Frank Miller... This hor- like the movie sets him out like yeah he's this horrible horrible person. What if Frank Miller isn't a horrible horrible person? What if he's like Robin Hood? What if he or what saw if he the kill- injustice? What if he killed done? somebody in self defense, or he killed someone who was killing his wife? Yeah, or, you know, yeah, or so you know, like not yeah, because in the sequel, you know, the, this marshal's a dick. And he ends up killing two of, like, Will's horses that he buys. And so then Will has to, like, face off against this marshal and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a, a tables are turned. But it's it's not done nearly as well as this movie was. Which... All righty, Dad. But it, it's just interesting because it's a lot of it is perspective. And people don't like to look at other, from other people's point of view of, like, oh, huh. Well, it's a good time to, to bring up the book Talking to Strangers by mm-hmm. Malcolm Gladwell. Indeed. Yeah. Okay. Well, our MVPs. Right. I have a runner-up. I have two runner-ups because I, I changed mine on the fly. I did too. Okay. My runner-up is, okay, when Frank Miller grabs Amy, I'm going, why didn't she hit him in the balls? Mm-hmm. I mean, she has this. This whole area here where she can do significant damage. Well, honestly, before we even get to that, she just shot a man in the back. She turns around. This guy, 
she's got the drop on the guy because this guy yeah. is not expecting Lily White Miss Philadelphia to shoot him in the belly. She should have right. shot him in the belly. And she's got a gun in her hand. But yeah. anyway, but she does turn around and scratch his eyes, which it makes it possible for then Will to shoot him and everything to be okay. Right. That's my runner up. But my MVP of the movie is everything about Helen Ramirez. Helen Ramirez. She is my MVP. So my runner-up MVP is Gary Cooper. Because I was like, oh, I get it now. I get why this guy was a star. Okay. Interesting. Then who my MVP was going to be was the hotel concierge guy. Because <laughs> he, he was fantastic. <laughs> The shade that he was throwing, like truth when, be told, if we did it today, he would be a gay man. Oh, I totally thought <laughs> that he would. He was very sassy, and he, but he would have been because it just it it makes sense in you know for the time because he says when we'll come like when he tells the the wife Amy, he's like, look, this place used to be jumping before. Your husband came right. in and quote cleaned up the town. So what does yeah. that mean? Cleaned up exactly. You know? Very very possible. It was a safe space for people who weren't comfortable in other places. Right. And so then when he goes up, then Will comes and he goes upstairs. He's like, "You know the way, don't you?" And says it in front of his wife. He did. He did it. And yeah. And he didn't even like do the do the slow pan over to the wife and no. do the. Yeah. Knew. So, but as we've been talking, the MVP really is Helen Ramirez. She is. She needs her own movie. Selma Hayek, get on it. Stop it. <laughs> Stop doing my recasting. Well, unfortunately, Hollywood has has neglected. I've had this conversation with people at work where I'm like, yeah, the Mexican actresses, because you'll name an actress and they'll be like, she's Puerto Rican. She's Dominican. She's Chilean. Oh. And you're like, oh, my gosh. Yes. It's just Selma Hayek, apparently. Well, I just went with Hispanic because I don't know the diff. Yeah, but that, I mean. Yeah, the people who know the diff, I, I apologize that I am not woke enough to know the diff. All right. So what's the next MVP? Recasting. Recasting. Okay, so. I'm gonna go with with this cast. Mm-hmm. This is this is a, a fairly traditional cast. So my will, my first will, is Benicio del Toro. Oh, very interesting. Because you know he can he can be a bad guy too. Mm-hmm. But okay, so my Amy for him is Zoe Saldana. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, my Mrs. Ramirez is Penelope Cruz. Okay. She's Spanish. But she's Hispanic. Yes. Okay. She's, she's actually, person- she's not Hispanic. She's European. She's Spanish. She's, okay. She's, okay. But she's Spanish speaking. A person of some color. Yes. I, I will allow. And with that, my Frank for them is much better than the Frank they had. Danny Trejo. 
Oh, I mean, that's who you want Frank to be. I mean, he turns around, there's Danny Trejo, and you go, oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely should be him. Now, I did a take on this that was not gender specific. Oh, you have a they cast. I have a cast that, that is bisexual. Oh. Okay. So my will in this cast is Queen Latifah. <laughs> Come on, she's badass. Uh, yeah, that would be funny. So her name is Willa. Willa. Uh-huh. My Amy is Amos. Amos. <laughs> and he is Jordan Fisher. Jordan. If you don't know Jordan Fisher, he was in Hamilton. He was um, the... In the beginning, he was one of the three guys, drink to freedom, drink. And then he became the son. Oh, okay. And and he was on Dancing with the Stars. Oh, okay. Okay. So he's he's a little smaller built than Queen Latifah, just a little. Mm -hmm. um, Okay. So Mrs. Ramirez, who had a a thing with Willa. Mm Mm-hmm. Is Selma Hayek. <laughs> I, yeah, I had to avoid, I was like, you can't just do Selma Hayek, Aaron. You have to, because that's who could, you instantly want to. I couldn't not. I know. She'd play the hell out of Mrs. Ramirez. I know. And so my Frank in this cast, it who who had a thing with Mrs. Ramirez, was Forrest Whitaker. Mm. When he turns around, oh, yeah, he would have been a good friend. Like pretty much, I kind of think anyone else would have been a really great Frank Miller. That guy turned around, and I'm like, I'm not quaking in my boots. His it's pants sort of were like, really up high. It's like if George Costanza turned around, you know? Yeah, yeah. it was just like, well, yeah, the, the guy's tall and he's got broad shoulders, but he just turned around. I'm like. I'm not buying it. Right. Okay. So my three casts, my my straight up cast, regular cast, Will. I was like, man, he, Gary Cooper, and uh, if you watch Ad Astra, just Brad Pitt, they're like kind of doing the same kind of thing. Yeah. I'm just like, ah, all right. Very uh, but easy. then I could put Brad Pitt in anything. Of course you could, but I I was going, I was really trying to go. Like you can always put him in anything, but I, but this, in this instance, I was really thinking of who do we have that's the closest to Gary Cooper right now, right? And I do a and I do silent, yeah, yeah, that it's Brad Pitt right now. Okay, my Amy was Margot Robbie. Of course, I mean she would demand to have the part beefed up more. Yes. And then my Helen, of course, you want to be like, oh, Selma Hayek. Of course you could. No disrespect to Selma Hayek. Very excited to see Like a Boss. But I wanted to dig a little deeper. And then I hey, here's another businesswoman who's Mexican. Eva Longoria. True. All good. Mm -hmm. Good. All right, so then we're going to my next cast. Um, so I will again, 
I'm like, who can do the Gary Cooper thing? Well, Denzel Washington. I thought, I yeah, that was like, okay, but the Magnificent Seven has already been done. Yeah, but still. I mean, Gary yeah. Cooper was in a bunch of Westerns. So then Amy, and then I'm just like, I wanted to, to branch out. I wanted to do something different because I it just always my go to. But I'm just like, you're already cast Denzel Washington. Regina King. Of course, Regina King. <laughs> and again, there'd be a little bit more to her. Right. And then my Helen in this, I was like, well, you know, she's had a hell of a year, even though she's Puerto Rican. Throw in J-Lo. Yeah. So that was okay. my Helen. And then I switched it up and my Will, I was like, it's Meryl Streep as Will. See, isn't that fun to do? Yeah. And then I was like, all right, who's her Amy? And this made me laugh. So I went with it. Jonathan Price. Because we just seen the two popes. And I'm just like, yeah, I believe that. Because you need somebody, because if, if it's a male Amy, you know, you need yeah. to be believed that like, they, that Meryl Streep would be married to him, but the, yeah. also that he's not like, right? Yeah, that he would want to run, you know, <laughs> yeah. basically. Exactly. And then my Helen, I cast Antonio Banderas. So there you go. I like it. Mm-hmm. I, what fun! That yeah, that was fun. Meryl Streep would be a great Will Kane. Oh my God, she would. Trying to go around getting people, and and yeah. just being and just the disappointment. Yeah. And the fight between her and Harv. I started to do a Harv, and then I went, "No, I, ain't nobody got time for that." Yeah, the Harv. Okay, tasty nuggets. All right. I have a whole lot that we've already done. Okay. Um. So when the train is coming into the depot, mm-hmm. the black smoke that's coming out mm-hmm. of the train, you you know this one? Yes. Means the brakes are failing. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so there were people on the tracks. There was a camera on the tracks. The director was, was on the tracks. On the tracks. <laughs> Luckily, everybody got off except for the tripod and the camera. But the film was saved. Yeah. Because... The brakes failed. They didn't know what that meant. They're city folk. Yeah. It was like, oh, yeah. cool, black smoke. Yep. Um, the song Do Not Forsake Me mm-hmm. was written by Tex Ritter, father of John Ritter. Oh, I didn't know that he was the dad. That was a big hit. Yeah. I, I, he sang it, but I, I think that that Dimitri guy, he wrote it, and then somebody else did the lyrics. Oh, okay. And then he performed it, I believe. Okay. Because it was also a pop hit for Frankie Lane, too. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, you know, the Will character singing to Amy, don't forsake me. I This is something I have to do. do. do, 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 do. Yeah. In the fight scene between Lloyd Bridges and Gary Cooper, I thought Gary Cooper had a stunt double because... His face was always in the chest of Will uh, of Lloyd Bridges, mm-hmm. but he didn't. 
Nope. And in that scene up in the hayloft was Bo Bridges, little boy. Oh. And he laughed when they threw water on, on his father and they had to redo the scene. <laughs> and evidently Gary Cooper was sick during this filming. Well, he had had, he had back problems and prior to filming, he had a couple months or so, he was recovering from surgery to remove a bleeding ulcer. Yes. And also his marriage was falling apart because um, the woman that he was having an affair with, that was found out, Patricia Neal, and she wasn't happy that his affair was also falling apart. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, like, the look of pain and anguish yeah. on this man's face is real. It's real. And, but evidently, you know, because they had to reshoot that whole fight scene, um, Lloyd Bridges said that, that Gary Cooper was lovely to to little Bo and, like, not a problem. Don't worry about it. Get off the, get out of the haystack. But, yeah. yeah. From everything that I've heard, Everyone really loved Gary Cooper. Yeah, he seems to be a a good guy. Um, The people who turned down the role of Will. Mm. Gregory Peck. Well, he said it was too similar to the gunfighter, and then he always regretted it. It was his biggest mistake. Biggest risk, yeah. Uh, Charlton Heston. Mm -hmm. He would have been too preachy. Marlon Brando. He would have been too moody. Kurt Douglas, Burt Lancaster. There was somebody else that... Montgomery Clift. Yeah, who we really haven't talked that much about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gregory Peck, it was his, Peck, it was his uh, biggest regret because he really opposed the blacklisting. Mm-hmm. And John Wayne was offered it first, but he turned it down because he thought that it was that obvious allegory against blacklisting, which... I would just like to point out, why did it have to be blacklisting? Like, you know, when they were banning the people? Because, no, like I know on one hand, like, you laugh about it. But on the other hand, it is more evidence into, like, institutional racism and how everything associated with, like, otherness and blackness is bad. They were yeah. communists, so why wasn't it red listing? I get it. I, I think it was a term that was already, I don't think it was a new term. Yes. Because but just I looked in up, the, the, but just, just in the, like, yeah, it wasn't a new, but just, you, just the fact that it existed and that it's negative and it's blacklisting. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Um, but the, I also, there were some people who were gray listed. So I just looked up gray listing and it had nothing to do with, I mean, it was all more recent stuff with stocks and mm-hmm. shit like that. So I couldn't find out what exactly gray listing was. I guess it was you were on the fence between being blacklisted and being okay. I, I get maybe it was something, I don't know, where you could work on rewrites and stuff, but you wouldn't get credit for it. Oh, okay. Maybe. Okay. I don't know. Okay, I'm pulling that out of my ass. Like okay. you could be a script doctor. Okay. You know, you couldn't uh, put Which your I name think you could be it. really good at, but there's that. If you'd only get in touch with <laughs> Bill Cosby. <laughs> um 
Yeah, so we talked about John Wayne, but he actually set up and ran the anti-communist organization for the film industry. Mm-hmm. And he strongly supported blacklisting. Yeah, John Wayne is an interesting character. Right now I'm seeing him as a dick. Yeah, it's just interesting because he didn't, he always had a chip on his shoulder and a lot of people didn't like John Wayne because he didn't serve in World War II Mm -hmm. because he had kids and stuff and he was a little bit on the older end, but there were a lot of people in Hollywood who were like, hey, I served. Right. And then... So I wonder if his being, you know, because there was stigma if you were of age and didn't serve your country. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) And especially he's John Wayne. So I wonder if his whole like blacklisting thing was a bit of an overcompensation. Maybe it was because my God, my father, that, that was his problem in the 60s and 70s with boys with long hair. Because, you know, you couldn't serve in the military and have long hair. So his thing, oh, my God, it was huge. Well, you could just cut your hair. Um, so did he like John Wayne? Mm, uh, he wasn't a Western kind of guy. Mm. Um, I don't remember him ever talking about John Wayne one way or another. I didn't know who John Wayne was when I was. I remember... In fourth grade, the boy I had a crush on, uh, this thing, you remember the um, the cooties, the folded paper that would go around, mm-hmm. and each time it would be a different question, and it was, who is your favorite actor? And he said his favorite actor was John Wayne, and I didn't have Google to go to. I didn't know who John Wayne was. That's weird, because I knew who John Wayne was. Yeah, I. But I never saw any of his movies or anything. I just by that by the eighties, I just knew who it was. Just yeah. that osmosis of like, yeah, John Wayne, the dude. I had no idea who John Wayne was. Anyway, Lloyd Bridges was almost blacklisted. Oh, he testified as a cooperative witness, admitting past membership in the Communist Party. And he recanted that. So he was gray listed and Gary Cooper got him the part in this movie. Yeah. Again, by all accounts, Gary Cooper's just a stand up guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Henry Ford, Henry Fonda was Henry Ford was (laughs) Henry Fonda was gray listed. Oh, I found that really interesting because he was so mad at his daughter when she went went to yeah but that's like like you have to look at it from that point of view of you know world war ii and oh my god the nuances of communism and gray listing and then you know jane yeah. fonda's point of view and yeah. what she was trying she, to do which she admits that was a mistake yeah, and well, it was it was so much bigger than a mistake sitting on a North Korean tank. Yeah, that was a huge mistake. Yeah, but when it was a mistake, but when you look at it from again, like Gregory Peck and Atticus Finch in their shoes, and the people that she's surrounding by, surrounded by, and the things that they're telling her, 
I'm not saying that that no, that's I know. like an excuse, but I'm just saying like, oh, I I see how that could happen. But like, you've uh, always had that ability. I don't. Were you born with that ability to see both sides? I, or was it because I of so. you? I think of it's all your, of it, all of the above. That it was there, and then oh it, it was God, it also was in your face every day. In my face every day. Thank you, America. <laughs> um, I know, and I'm so sorry for my part of that. But I, I don't, because I have this perspective that the older I get, the more I see that other people don't, and I'm just like, wow, like that's from. I I don't know. Yeah. I, but I'm glad I have it. There's this, this weird thing called empathy that <laughs> grows from it. Oh, my goodness. I've always said you're so much more mature than I am. Um, this lost uh, Best Picture to The Greatest Show on Earth, mm-hmm, which by was done Cecil by B. DeMille. Cecil B. DeMille, who was a huge supporter of McCarthy. So some say it was very political. Well, and that the one who was oh, kind of... excuse me, the Oscars aren't political? What? Right. Ouch! <laughs> okay. Um, and in Spanish, when yes. Helen Ramirez is speaking to Will Kane, at the very end, they have um, two bits of dialogue yes. in Spanish. What was said? What was said was, she goes... One year without seeing you. And he said, yes, I know. Ah, I knew that he said, I know, because I've heard that a lot. It appears that he just stopped seeing her. He ghosted Helen Ramirez? He ghosted her. And then a year later, he marries this little blonde green Mm -hmm. buff. So it's like everything the opposite of her. Yeah. Blonde, and, and he didn't even come by and explain why he stopped seeing her. No. You know, it wasn't like, you know, I I, I can't marry Obviously, Mexican. I can't marry you. <laughs> oh, man. Again, the Helen Ramirez story. <laughs> I'm telling you, Aaron. <laughs> I, I am all in. And I'm sorry, but we're going to put Sama Hayek in that role. Well, it's the only way the movie gets made. <laughs> Okay, those are my tasty nuggets. All right, so it was nominated for seven Academy Awards. It was nominated for Best Picture. Again, it lost to The Greatest Show on Earth. Earth. It was nominated with Ivanhoe, Moulin Rouge, and The Quiet Man. Uh, Fred Zinnemann was nominated for Best Director, and it was nominated for Best Writing Screenplay. It won for Best Actor, uh, Gary Cooper, which, nerd alert, incidentally... Gary Cooper was in Mexico shooting another movie and asked John Wayne to accept the award on his behalf because they were friends. So weird. And so John Wayne did accept it and because that's how much esteem that Gary Cooper has. And then he jokingly said like how, um, you know, why didn't my agents put me in this? But everybody right. knew that John Wayne hated this film. Right. Also one for editing, music score and music song. Um, there was something about the song that was the first time it had happened. Um, I believe it was the first time that a song won from a movie that wasn't a musical. Wasn't a musical. Mm-hmm. That's it. Thank you. 
So, like we already said, Gary Cooper was 51 and Grace Kelly was 21. Um, Gary Cooper wore no makeup to show the anguish and fear, but it was also from the pain of surgery they had from removing a bleeding ulcer and also his personal life was just falling apart. <laughs> but it worked in the film. Yeah, it got him an Oscar. Got him an Oscar. Um, Will Kane is the fifth greatest hero in the American Film Institute's list of greatest heroes and villains. At 51, we already said this, Gary Cooper was on the decline, so this was his comeback. And yeah, the train almost ran everyone over. (laughs) There you have it. Our podcast that is actually longer than the movie. Thank you, and you're welcome. Well, it's time for next week's pick, and I am torn because I had a movie, and then you sent me info. I know, but do whatever you were going to do. Like, you just pick. Do what you want to do. I just thought it was interesting, so I sent it I think it's interesting, too, but I didn't want to give John Wayne any... I didn't want to give him any props. I know. I was kind of wondering, like, I was like, can we do our westerns and... And not, and like, am I Elvising John Wayne? <laughs> we can do it because we're gone with the bushes and we're allowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And, but then I thought it might be really interesting to compare and contrast. So did I. I so saw both ways. That's welcome to my life. <sighs> okay. Well, you have to decide. Do you have a coin nearby? I mean, Time is ticking. Oh, I do have a coin. Okay. Uh, Heads or tails is Rio Bravo. Which one? Uh, Heads. For John Wayne's big head. Oh, shit. It went off the table. Unbelievable. Wait a minute. You're supposed to catch it. You're supposed to flip it up and then then you catch it and then you flip it over. Uh, okay. Rio Bravo. John Wayne, but I'm not going to say anything nice about him. <laughs> but what if he do, you can't just blanket it? He might do something nice. He might have saved a puppy one time. And you have to be like, John Wayne can did save Mitch a puppy. McConnell if I want to. <laughs> you can what? Be Mitch McConnell if I want to. But th- what does that say about you? Oh, see? See how much more mature she is than <laughs> I am. This is. Well, Will Kane. What would Will Kane say? We at Gone with the Bushes hope you all had a great holiday, as Aaron and I did in the big chair. <laughs> Sounds weird. Drinking a whole lot of gin. I am so good at making gin gimlets and Bloody Marys. There, everybody's like, "What did you do for your vacation?" I made my mom gin gimlets and Bloody Marys. <laughs> Got so tired, I had to go to the big cup, so I wouldn't have to get up and make so many. All right, we're just going to double everything, put it in this huge cup, and then maybe we'll get to just sit down and not have to get up. Oh, unfortunately, that is so true. But (laughs) it worked out well. Next year, it's just going to be an IV bag, and we're just going (laughs) to drip it into her. (laughs) So no one has to, everybody can just relax. (sighs) And then, because you can't clench your jaw next year, Oh, no, I will be able to next year, hopefully. Oh, it'll be done by mm-hmm. then. Uh, okay. Okay, people. Next week, Rio Bravo. But 
the week after that is going to be maybe is it the week? <laughs> yeah, hopefully. I, it will be our 100th episode. It will be episode. our 100th episode. That's all we have to say. We're not we're not getting people excited about things that might not happen on that episode. Yes. You need to maintain expectations. Okay. Okay, well, there you go. That was our first Western. Well, other than Blazing Saddles. Mm-hmm. Okay, people. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.